Everyone has a story. With moments of longing, confusion, pain, and sadness. But we have been invited. We have been invited to be a part of a greater story. To be a part of a greater story. A greater story. One of hope. One of hope. Love. Peace. And healing. This is God's story. God's story. Our story. Our story. Your story. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. Test one, two, there we are. What a great morning, church, man. Just worship. Wow. Love it. Seeing all these kids up here on the stage and hearing Jesus Loves Me being sung in Afrikaans and the prayer in Portuguese and just thinking about the impact around the world. And uh, it's exciting. I mean, it's just exciting what God's doing for his name and for his glory. And just love being on this journey with you. You know, I was thinking back over some of the things that God's been doing even this past week. And we had our men's leadership network kicked off and uh, so many men that were here and just seeing men growing as their spiritual leaders in marriages and their families. And I'm just so thankful for you guys. And man, we have six weeks of just really pouring in and growing together. Uh, Mom to Mom starts this week and if tables and how people are growing together and then seeing all these kids and watching generations being raised up in the Lord. And I'm so thankful. I'm so excited. We've got 17 babies being dedicated this afternoon in our family dedication time. And uh, it is just amazing what God's doing for his glory and what's happened in Nolensville and then downtown Nashville as we launched Thrive this past week. And, you know, I was watching a little college football. I don't know if you guys know that, but football's kind of kicked off. I'm just kind of FYI, but, you know, NFL starts today. But I was seeing these guys, and they just get so pumped, right? They make a big play, and they're running around, and they're high-fiving everybody. And I just thought, God's doing so many great things here at church. I just wanted to run through and just high-five everybody, you know? And just thought, guys, this is awesome, man. We're a part of something huge. We're a part of something great. And so I love being on this journey together and just seeing God move and work in people's lives. Hey, we're in a great series. We're in this great series called Immeasurably More. And God is challenging us to live this life that he's called us to. And we're looking at this one verse, right? It's found in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 20, it says, Now to him, that's God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And just for a moment, think about that. Just for a moment, think about all you can ask or all you can imagine and think that the God of this universe can do more than that. And God wants to do more than that. Our plans are so small and so little compared to what he wants to do. He wants to do immeasurably more. And then it says, according to his power that is at work within us, right? It's not what we do. It's what God does in us and through us for his glory. And then it says, to him be glory in the church. That's the body of Christ. That's us. The people of God and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we said that in order to experience this immeasurably more life, there's a couple things that have to happen. Number one is we have to open our eyes. And we get so busy living life. We get so busy in the throes of the things of this world that we miss what God's doing in the world. And when we open our eyes, immediately we're thankful. We're like, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the way that you're moving. And the second thing we have to do is join in the journey. And if you missed last week, I challenge you, encourage you, go back and listen to the podcast because we talked about that, taking this step of faith, this step of obedience. And it's about obedience, not outcome. And so often we want the outcome, don't we? God, tell me what's going to happen. And God's going, no, I want the obedience. You trust me. And when you step in, that's when I move. That's when I work. And so often fear rules our lives. Man, we're, we're afraid to get involved. We're afraid to speak up for Christ. We're afraid to do, and God's going, don't live by fear, live by faith. 
And don't live by fear, live by faith. And watch what I'll do. And then this morning we're talking about this, moving over for the miracle to happen. You see, so often, man, we take a step and then then we're like, okay, God did something great. And then we so easily get caught back up in the world. And so often our vision and our focus becomes about the things of this world. And God's going, no, constantly be moving over. Constantly be aligning your life with my agenda in this world. Constantly be aligning your heart with the things that I love. And when we do that, man, miracles happen. And we come alive. And I want you to see that today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, man, this is so good. So Matthew, first book, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels all talking about Jesus. And here we are in Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. There's some Bibles back on the stands in the back. That's yours. Take it. Uh, because we believe that the Word of God will not return void. And as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God, God's going to do something in your heart and your life. He's going to transform you. So Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, these are red letters. Because these are the very words of Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Man, I love that. A couple of things I want you to note from this. Number one, I want you to see that this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So if you're taking notes, this is the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, this is the longest sermon that we have recorded from Jesus. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus goes up on the mountainside. And a lot of times we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we think about a huge crowd being there. And there was, right, because the crowds all came. But Jesus, it says, that he called his disciples and they came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. So Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7 is all about the kingdom of God. It's Jesus pouring into the disciples. And what he's saying is, listen, the kingdom is different than the world. The kingdom that I'm calling you to is different than living just for the things the world lives for. He starts off with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, who realize their need for God. Blessed are are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those when you're persecuted. And you're like, wow, that is so different than what the world is. And Jesus goes through and he just kind of outlines and says, hey guys, the kingdom of God is different. It's countercultural. You can't live the same way in this world and live as a Christ follower. There is a different calling and a different responsibility. Second thing I want you to see is this, is that Jesus teaches us to call God Father, right? He says, hey, how much more will your Father, capital F, in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this was radical. I mean, for us, we kind of used to it. We talk about God as Father, but but back then, they just didn't do this. And this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in the Old Testament, the Jews... Their name for God was Yahweh, right, or Jehovah. I mean, they had these different names for God. But even Yahweh, they wouldn't write the vowels because there was this 
awe, this reverence, and this respect for God. And I do think we've lost some of that today. He is God, right? He is sovereign over everything. But Jesus comes along, and Jesus begins to invite us to call him Father. Father. Abba, Daddy. See, what you believe about God determines so much about you. And if you believe God is up there and God is, you know, he's got better things to do than to spend time with what's going on in your life, then you won't spend time praying because you're like, God's concentrating on the big things and, you know, here I am. Or if you believe that God is always upset because you make mistakes or you sin, you, you fall down, that God's just ready to, boom, he's going to get you, right? Then you live with this fear. And yet if you know God as Father, something changes in you. You realize that there's a God who is for you. You realize that there's a God who wants you to succeed. You realize that there's a God who will provide for you and take care of you. And Jesus comes along, and this was so radical, and saying, hey, you can call God Father. Third thing is this, Jesus invites us to ask. <laughs> to ask. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be open. Now when you study this at first you kind of go through it quickly but but when you look at it this is present imperative meaning this go on asking go on seeking go on knocking and what Jesus is calling us to is prayer. He's calling us to this life of relationship with God. This life of an ongoing conversation. It says in 1 Thessalonians, you know, pray without ceasing. And then you and I mature in our faith. As you and I grow in, in, our, in our love for God, we develop this ongoing conversation. A lot of times we look at prayer and we think it has to be formatic, right? There's a formula to it. We teach our kids, you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Now that's okay. It's good to teach our kids because it's good to say, we want to be thankful. And when we sit down to eat, we want to recognize that God is the one who's provided for us. But at some point, we grow from that. And we move on to say, God, I can have a conversation with you wherever I am. And whatever's going on in my life, I can bring it to you immediately. I can come before you and say, God, I need your help right now. This is tough. God, I'm getting ready to go into this meeting, and God, I need your peace. God, I, I feel like we're having a, an argument right here in our family, and I feel like it's escalating. God, bring calm. God, bring your presence. God, we need you right now. And something happens in you, and something happens in me when we develop this heart of prayer. Go on asking, Jesus said. Go on seeking. Seek the heart of the Father. Go on knocking. Ask. And what begins to happen in our lives is this. We start to align with the heart of God. It's not just I'm going to pray when I feel like it or when I'm in trouble. I'm not just going to pray when oh, I haven't prayed in a long time. I'm going to start to develop this conversation. And in my life, as I am following God, as I'm taking steps of faith in that journey, I'm constantly, constantly aligning my life with him. And in our lives, man, that's growth. That's maturity. Here's the fourth thing. It's this, that God wants us to experience the immeasurably more life. And, and I love when Jesus says this. He says, you know, which of you, it, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? He's like, come on. Nobody would do that, right? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
Come on, you you wouldn't do that. If then though you are evil, and what's he saying there, if then you know you're evil? He's saying you're a parent, but you've fallen. And before you receive the grace of God, all of us have this evil nature. All of us have this sin nature in us that looks out for us, that looks out for what I can get and what I can gain. He says, if you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and all parents do, how much more? Now, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but man, just underline that right there. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then I love there's an exclamation point right there, right? It's like, how much more? See, God wants the best for you. God does. And I truly believe that with all of my heart, that God's not finished with any of us that we are still a work in progress, but I still believe that the best in our life is still to come. And God's saying, I want great things for you. Trust me. Follow me. Hold on to me. Because I want to do so much more in your life than you could ever dream or ever imagine. And miracles come when we align ourselves with the heartbeat of God. With the heartbeat of God. Now, what is God's heart? I mean, what is God's heart? Well, I want to tell you today, because as we look at God's stories, we look at our stories, we look at your story, here's God's heart. God's heart is for people. God's heart is for redemption and reconciliation. God is constantly drawing people to himself. It is who he is. If you go back to Genesis, right, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man, and God created man in the image of God. Now, why did God create man? God created man for a relationship with him. That's why you were created. If you ever wonder, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose on this earth? We ask ourselves those questions. Well, here's why you're here. You're here to have a relationship with God. And life just won't make sense outside of that. And so God has been constantly drawing men to himself. That's God's heartbeat. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall, right? Sin. Man says, no, what, God? I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. I don't want to listen to you. And man, boom, take, eat, and sin. Break that relationship with a holy God. But God didn't give up on them. And the great news is this, is that God doesn't give up on us. Even when we sin, even when we blow it, that God is still drawing us to himself, that God is inviting us into this relationship with him. And so you go and look at the Old Testament, and what does God do? God goes and he calls the captives out of slavery in Egypt. And with miracles, 10 plagues, he brings them out. They cross the Red Sea. He meets them in Mount Sinai. He gives them laws. He says, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take care of you. But listen, when you come into the promised land, here's what I want you to do. I want you to align your life with me. You are my people. When you go into the promised land, I don't want you to harvest all the way to the edges of your fields. I want you to leave the outside of your fields for the poor, for the broken, for the forgotten, for those in need, so that they can come and they can eat too. I want you to align your life with my heart because I'm blessing you. I want you to be a blessing. But what happened? The people went into the promised land and and they said, wow, we're not going to just leave the outsides for others. We're going to take it for us, right? There's more for us. We're going to go all the way to the edges. We're going to even move boundary stones. We're going to push back more, more, more. 
And God's like, ah. And God, in the greatest act of love, sends his son, Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He's baptized at the age of 30. And it tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Now, Jesus went to church. That was his custom. It's important for us to gather. It was important back then. It's still important today. And he stood up to read. Back then, they would stand up to read the scriptures, and then they would sit down to teach. But the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, notice this. He found the place where it was written. Jesus was very intentional to say, this is who I am. This is what my ministry is about. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Preach good news of life change, of life transformation. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what's the year of the Lord's favor? Well, if you go back, when God was telling the people, hey, when you come in the promised land, you know, don't reap all the way to the edges of your fields. Be sure and leave some for the poor. Be sure and and be a blessing to others. And God also established this. It was called the year of Jubilee. And God said, you know, every seven years, you're going to let the land rest, right? In seven days, he created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. So he said, let the land rest. I'll provide enough crops for you in year six to take care of you for year six, seven, and eight, and you just let the land rest. Now, we know later on, all these years later, agriculture says we've got to let the land rest. You know, it's important. Well, God made it. God established it. So then he says, every seven years, but then he says, Seven times seven is 49, right? So the perfect number. So year 50, we're going to have a year of jubilee. He goes, when you come into the promised land and I give you all this stuff, every 50th year, it's called the year of jubilee. And in that 50th year, here's what you're going to do. You're going to let the land rest, but you're going to have a feast. You're going to let slaves go free. All debts are forgiven. It is going to be a year of worship and a year of celebration. It is going to be awesome. And I'm going to make all things right. Do you know that we don't ever have a record of the children of Israel having a year of Jubilee? We don't. Why? Because they came into the land and they said, hey, we can sell our crops all the way to the edges. We can make more money for us. Hey, we're not letting our slaves go free. Are you kidding me? You know what? We're not going to forgive debts. Are you kidding me? We're not going to do that. And so when Jesus comes, he says, listen, here's my heart. My heart is freedom for the captives. My heart is recovery of sight of the blind. My heart is that people would know the God who loves them. And my heart is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the New Testament, there's 37 miracles that Jesus does. And every one of those miracles is pointing people back to God. Every one of those miracles is about transformation in hearts and lives for the glory of God. Because Jesus said, my calling and my mission is to align the heartbeat of God.
And the greatest miracle of all, Jesus, was nailed to a cross for your sins and for my sins. The greatest miracle of all is that Jesus died, but death couldn't hold him in the ground. And he was resurrected for you and for me to have eternal life. That's God's story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of God doing what only God can do in you and in me. But here's our story. Our story is this, that we are called as a church to align our lives with the heartbeat of God. See, the church is not a country club, right? The church is it's not a country club. It's not just a place where, hey, we just come and we're social and we all you know, hang out and it's all great and it's all good. The church is the hands and feet of Christ. The church is called to make a difference in our world for the glory of God. The church is the vehicle by which God accomplishes his work in this world. 13 years ago when God gave us that verse in Ephesians, God also gave us another verse. It's James 1.27. And as a young church, 15 people meeting in an apartment clubhouse, God put this verse before us and just said, what are you going to do with this? And here's James 1.27. It says this. Religion that God our Father, I love that, our Father, corporate, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And God said to us as a church, hey, I'm going to do great things. Church, I'm going to do immeasurably more. But don't miss what I'm calling you to. Don't miss that you realize that you are going to be blessed in order to be a blessing. What are you going to do about the orphans? What are you going to do about the widows? Now, why would God say orphans and widows? Have you ever thought about that? Both orphans and widows are ones who need help. Orphans don't have parents. They don't have people to step in for them. Widows, especially back in this day, man, if you didn't have a husband... Or you didn't have a son. As a woman, you had no rights. I mean, you were out on the street. There was nobody. And throughout the centuries, it's been the church who's come along and seen lives redeemed and restored and reconciled to God. Look after orphans. Look after widows. And, and hey, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hey, don't fall back in love with the way of the world. You're a disciple. You are called to live different. Your life should look and mirror the heartbeat of God. So pray. God, what do you want us as a church to do? God, we're seeking your heart. We're seeking your will. And that first year, we took a mission trip to Moldova and worked with orphans in this poorest and smallest country in the former Soviet Union, and we were changed. We kept going back and then to South Africa. And then to the Amazon. Six years ago, as a church, we started Justice and Mercy International because we said, this is the heartbeat of God. And as a church, we just said, you know what? We can't do everything, but, but we can do something. And here we are in Middle Tennessee, and here we are blessed beyond our wildest imagination. God has given us so much. But it's not just for us. It's for us to be a blessing, for us to give back. And so many of you, you've gone You've prayed, you've sponsored, and God's continuing to call us. Go on asking, go on seeking. 
and make sure as a church we continue to align with the heartbeat of God. I want you to hear this morning from a guy in our church, Jimmy Weekly, and, and I want you to hear this video. It's just, it's amazing what God is doing in the lives of people who go and make a difference for his name. Watch this. Hey, Jimmy, thanks so much for uh, sharing with us today, just a little bit of your story. Tell me kind of about your life before. You know, we were a typical suburban American family, you know, just kind of in the rat race of, you know, trying to get a house, you know, trying to accumulate things left and right, and just, you know, we wanted to get involved in a church because we knew we wanted to take our kids to church, all that kind of stuff, and uh, we just kind of were your normal, uh, run-of-the-mill American family, I guess. I mean, was church a priority for you guys, or kind of where were you in your spiritual life, your spiritual walk? You know, I, I knew that we wanted to raise a family in the church. Um, based on my church life, you know, before college and before marriage, you know, it was, it was mainly kind of, you know, all about doing stuff, right? Like, hey, if you go to church and you say prayers, everything's going to be good. Um, so that's kind of how we were. Um, we knew that we were, like, supposed to send our kids to church and go to church with them and stuff, but... I don't get, I don't think we really knew why. What changed that? What, what was the change factor there? You know, the biggest thing for me and for us, um, we got involved in Rolling Hills and we started serving. Um, we had never really known what that was like. Um, we knew, we attended church, but we had never really gotten involved in a church. So we started serving. And then when Rolling Hills started the Next Steps initiative, it kind of challenged us. But one of the next steps was, uh, you know, to, to reach out. And part of that reaching out was for me to go on a mission trip. Never been on a mission trip, didn't even know what mission trips were all about. So I jumped on a plane to Moldova. And since that trip to Moldova, I think our family life has been changed for the better. Wow. Tell me about that first trip. Tell me what happened there. Uh, I was real nervous. Um, I was nervous about, you know, being on an airplane for 13 hours, didn't know what I was going to eat, sleep, you know, all the things that, the doubts that come to your mind, like are my kids and wife going to be okay at home uh, without me, all that kind of stuff. You know, what is my boss going to say about being gone for seven days without having any communication? Uh, you know, the minute we stepped off the bus when we finally got to Moldova and the kids run up to you and, you know, they hug you just because you're there. Um, and you don't even know why. They just, they just want your love and they want you to embrace them. And, uh, seeing those kids, I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, this is why God sent me here. So that moment was a, was a defining moment in my life and our family's life, for sure. So when you came back from Moldova, talk about that change. What happened then? Um, I think, you know, we, we began sponsoring a child over there. And we had just sponsored a child right before I went. So I was able to meet her. Her name's Daniela. And just being in, you know, being in her space and seeing how much um, me going over there meant to her and vice versa, I think I got more out of that first trip than the kids in Moldova got out of it, you know, selfishly. Um, but when I got back, it was just a total change in what was important in life, you know, how we were going to teach our kids that it's not all about us. It's about, you know, okay, God gives us these things. What are we going to do with those things? So if God gives us the means, um, to support children in Moldova, you know, we should do that. We should listen to him. If God gives us the means to travel to Moldova, to spend a one week out of the year with him, we should do that. Um, and I think the second year, my wife and I went together, and just seeing her interact with the kids taught me so much more about my wife. You know, you think when you marry somebody, you know them, right? But just seeing her in that space with children that we didn't know, that we didn't have any relationships with, you know, I think changed our marriage for the better, too. It drew us closer together. Um, 
and going over there together, the next year, which was this past year, we actually got asked to lead a group over there, which was, at first you kind of think, well, I don't know anything about leading a mission team, but I kind of had a coach's background. I was like, okay, I'll treat it as like I'm taking a team over, a basketball team or whatever. Um, and I think that changed it too, because we were working on lesson plans together, we were working on scheduling together. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just thought, okay, God, if this is what you want us to do, let's do it. So um, you think going over there is really going to impact the kids and, and the people over there, which it does, but I think it actually in turn impacts your life you know, a whole lot more. What's the difference that you've seen since? Like since you've gotten involved and following God and really trusting him, you know, and kind of stepping out in the water and saying, yeah. okay, God, what's the impact? What's the difference you've seen? I think two things. For us, I think prayer number one. We've been so much more diligent in our prayer life, which is a really hard thing for me um, to just, you know, carve out that time for prayer every day. But when you've got kids over there you're involved with um, through sponsorships, um, our small group at the time we helped sponsor a transitional student over there. So, and you you can communicate with them, but you've got to pray for them. I mean, because that's you're telling them when you're over there, I'm going to pray for you. Um, so I think prayer life, number one, you know, prayer life with our children, you know, every day we talk about Daniela and Nayla and Igor. Um, we, we hope, we, tell, we ask God to protect them, we ask God to guide them, we ask them to raise them to be, you know, warriors, warriors of Christ over there. Um, and then I think our relationship with our kids, like Melanie and I, how we're raising our kids has changed. Um, we want them to really know that it's not about just us. It's not about, you know, our immediate needs. You know, if we're taking care of God's put us in this position, what are we gonna do with the tools that God's given us? And so I think that some of the things that were important to us before we got involved with Moldova, before we started serving at the church, you know, centered around just, you know, how can we give our kids the best life? You know, that, you know stuff falls into that. You know, can we get them into the best colleges? Can we make sure that they're taken care of? What's changed for me and for us, I believe, is that we even trusted that God is going to put us in certain situations. Like if you'd have told me five years ago that every year you're going to go to Moldova or that you're going to be sponsoring kids a billion miles away, I'd have told you you're crazy. I'd have been like, this is insane. Um, and so I think that it's taught us to listen to what God wants us to do. And the only way to listen to what God wants you to do, I believe, is, is to pray. I feel like that's when I hear what God's trying to tell me. Um, so, you know, before all this happened, before I think my prayer life was marginal at best, you, know, you go through, you go weeks without praying, and you look back and you're like, what was I doing? But now, with everything going on with our relationship with the kids in Moldova, our relationship with Justin Mercy International, with our church, you know, we just, we don't want to miss what God has in store for us. And I think it's, it's easily done living where we live because we have everything. You know, we, we're not really struggling for anything. Um, but it's put us in a position to where it's harder to listen. But we find out that when we do listen, you know, it's just it's just an amazing feeling. I love that. What would you say to encourage people or even challenge people to live an immeasurably more life? So I think the, the big thing for us was we had to get uncomfortable. We had to step out of our comfort zone, which was just nice little suburban life. We're going to school. You know, we're doing things. We're going out of town. But to get uncomfortable, carve out. Um, a week's vacation for a mission trip, you know, even if it's not overseas, you know, local mission trips, what have you. Um, but I think getting uncomfortable has helped us in our marriage. It's helped us in raising our kids. It's helped our spiritual life, our relationship with God. I mean, you know, 
I think that, that God wants us to be uncomfortable, and that, that's the only way we're going to grow is if we do get uncomfortable. Um, but I can still feel sometimes sliding back into that comfortable range where you're just kind of going through life, but it's when you get uncomfortable that I think you grow in your relationship with God, for sure. God's story, it's our story, but it's also your story. And what is your story? In your life, are you constantly aligning your heart with the heartbeat of God? You know, we can't do everything, right? I mean, there's so many needs out there, we can't do everything, but, but we can all do something. We can all do something. And so what is that call? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What, what are you doing for others? Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100 people, at least feed one. And I think for all of us, we have to look at our lives and say, it's so easy to drift into the things of this world, but, but God, where life is really lived, where the immeasurably more comes in, where the miracles happen is when I begin to align my life with you. And what happens then is you see God do what only God can do. You see lives changed and transformed for his glory around the world or right here in our community, but you see your life changed. You see a joy that comes, and, a, and it comes from generosity, and it wells up inside of you because you're going, God, you are so good. And you realize how much we have, and you realize, man, that I can be a part of what God is doing in this world. And God has so much for us, and God's inviting us. So this morning, as our response time, I, I, I want us just to ask, God, what story are you writing in me? God, what steps do you want me to take? God, what do you want me to do? God, don't let me fall into the mindset where I harvest all the way to the edges of my field. But God, let me be generous. Let me join you in what you're doing. And redemption and reconciliation and bringing hope in a world of desperate need. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you received a, a guide that is kind of our big missions brochure for the year. And, and I want to I encourage you to take that with you to read. And it gives you an outline for 2016, the rest of this year, and all the way in 2017. And just opportunities to get involved. And also inside there is, is a card. And so this morning, I want you to just to think about, it. maybe God's calling you to take a mission trip next year. Maybe God's calling you to go to the Amazon or to Moldova or, or go to South Africa. And you've never been. And maybe like Jimmy, you know, you're like scared. All you can think about is the plane flight or the food. Or, and yet God's going, trust me, it's not about the outcome. It's about obedience. Maybe God's calling you to sponsor a child. You know, it's $40 a month. I mean, really? We could do that. And the impact you make and the difference you make. We walk by the JMI booth every Sunday. And this morning there's opportunities, you know, when you go to the JMI booth after this and pick up a, a packet. Or maybe you sponsor a pastor in the Amazon. Because they're impacting villages. But there's also things we can do locally. You know, Jesus said, you, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so even locally. Things like the PATH Project, or 413 Strong, the Nashville Rescue Mission. Opportunities to give back, opportunities to serve. 
in a couple of weeks, we have the JMI Gala that's upcoming, and it's a great opportunity to volunteer, to serve, or to come, and to be a part. We can't do everything. But church, we can all do something. And it's your story that God's writing. And so I want to pray over us, and then our worship team's going to come, and we're going to have a time of response. And maybe today, you made God's moving your heart, just saying, hey, I want to be a part you can pull out this card and say, I want some more information. Put your name on there, your email. There's some globes that are set up in the middle. Just represents this calling to go to the ends of the earth. And you can drop your card in there and we will follow up with you. We're going to have some of our A6 guys be around the sides if you want to pray with somebody. That's what we're here for. But as we pray this morning, just ask God, God, align my heart with yours. God, don't let me miss it. <laughs> what are you calling me to do? Where are you calling me to go? How are you calling me to give? And God, find me faithful. So Father, here's your people. God, just like you called your disciples together, Matthew chapter five, God, you've called us together this morning. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be open. God, we are inundated with the things of this world. Our, our minds are overwhelmed with all of the things that we've got to do in a given day. But yet, Father, I pray this morning that you would align our hearts with your heart. Father, I pray that you would stir inside of us a, a call to redemption and reconciliation, a, a desire to point people to you, a desire to be generous. Father, as we saw these children up on this stage and thinking about the example that we are for them of saying what's important in life, and Father, I pray you find us faithful. Thank you, God, for lives that are being impacted around the world right now through JMI, through Rolling Hills. And God, call us to a deeper walk with you. So this morning we ask. This morning we seek. This morning we knock. And God, we know that you'll hear and you'll answer. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we respond right now. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship.